right, good afternoon. You made it to the, the end of the conference and the final seminar for today. We're excited to see you. I think we really got a great topic here and looking forward to engaging you. We are in session 1355. We're gonna be talking about tech trends every STEM manager should know. And we're gonna deep dive a little bit. Our focus area is gonna be on accelerating innovation with AI. My name is Chetemia Douglas. I am Global Strategic Programs Lead at Google, responsible for machine learning in our supply chain organization. Um, I'm joined here today by Chris and Brandon, and I'm gonna have them in introduce themselves a little bit later. Um, but before we get started, I wanted to share a quote with you. So, if you think technology can solve your security problems, then you don't understand the problems and you don't understand the technology. We're not talking about security today, but this quote really resonated with me because it really characterizes where we are with AI and how important it is to understand this technology and our role in leveraging it, implementing it, applying it in ways that make sense and drive value in our organizations, um, for our customers, and just in, generally, in general for our lives. So today's discussion, we have Chris Jock and Brandon Ha. Chris is a scientist and global science practice director at Actalent here in Detroit. Brandon is a technologist and global IT innovation senior manager at PepsiCo in Dallas. Today with you, we're gonna have about an hour and 15 minutes to deepen your understanding of, our collective understanding of AI and explore how your role and what you do in your space can advance innovation and create value for your organizations. And really, it's an open discussion. The format that we want to go through today really is we'll introduce a concept and want to implore the audience to come forth, ask questions, voice concerns, share your experiences, because what we recognize is we are all at the precipice and taking this journey in terms of understanding what AI is, what it can do for us, um, there's a particular um, focus that we want to take in terms of what does it do for us when, in terms of scientific discovery and advancing product development. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then for you individually, how do you leverage this technology and this entire AI ecosystem to drive value in your organizations? With that, I want to have Brandon and Chris introduce themselves a bit. I think there's tremendous value. You can read their bios for sure, but what they can share with you today is how they've leveraged technology, innovation, and just all of the space in order to advance their career. And so with that, Brandon, do you want to kick us off? Sure, thank you. And thanks everybody for still being here because we know that we are, everybody's just coming back from lunch and this is the last sessions that we have for the day. So really appreciate everybody for being here and we hope that you get something out from this and help you to, to advance your career. So my name is Brandon Ha, I'm a senior manager with Global IT Innovations at PepsiCo. And to the questions that you have for me, is that how I have always started my career. I started my career in STEM. So in undergraduate, I studied engineering and mathematics. And that has, that has been the, the catalyst for me in terms of be able to focus my career in STEMs. I started as a system engineer, 
and I transitioned over to become a consultant. And now I'm with PepsiCo in the IT innovations. And my focus area has always been on looking at technology. What are the emerging technologies that we as in our humanities can leverage in order to bring forward things that we be able to do that we're not able to do today. So we're excited and we'll deep dive into that more in the sessions. Over to you, Chris. Thank you, appreciate that, Brandon. Um, yeah, Chris Jock, and, and again, I have a, a fairly long and I think diverse experience. And for me, the importance and the relevancy of this particular topic is how with the proper understanding and the proper investment of time, how technology can be used, one, to improve a business situation and advance your, your career. I think it's critically important that you understand what technology is within your specific space, your company, your organization you work with, and how it is being utilized and how you can uh, adapt your skill sets to, to leverage the, um, the technology that's in play at your particular organization. But again, for me, I've, I've always been a student of technology and how you can leverage technology to improve operations. So I started my career out as an ac academic researcher, mixing chemicals and hoping you get the desired chemical reaction. Uh, pretty low tech technology by today's standards, but nonetheless, understanding uh, the tools that are used to understand the chemical compounds that were, were um, being synthesized that we would then eventually publish. Again, understanding the technology in the space that I was in, it was critically important. But then leveraging that and then taking that into a, a real job that I got in aerospace and defense, where we worked on advanced uh, composite materials, uh, supporting the national defense initiatives, um, two and three stage uh, long-range and, and medium-range ballistic missiles, understanding materials and how you analyze those particular systems to ensure reliability of these, uh, these defense systems uh, that were deployed. But again, understanding and studying the technology that the organization I worked with was um, using to advance those, those goals. So again, always being a, a student, understanding what the, the direction was, but leveraging that experience into in the environmental field, which is where my next, my next uh, career path went. Understanding, having a good foundation of different technologies in these different organizations, I was able to leverage that into optimizing and making more efficient the laboratory operation that I manage, a commercial laboratory, a contract lab, in fact, and how to use the technology that was available, but then also the emerging technology that was coming out, in this case, analytical chemistry instrumentation to again, optimize, improve the accuracy and precision of the data that was generated for environmental compliance. Again, always maintaining a critical eye and a keen eye and a curious eye on technology that was available to me in the specific space that I was working in. And then leveraging that into other opportunities uh, through my career over the last you know, 40 some odd years. Again, the point of this is that I've been very fortunate to have a very broad base experience um, experiences, um, but all of that was underpinned by having an, a clear understanding of technology, the trends that were happening in the specific space that I reside, which is in the chemical analysis space. Challenge you all, as you look at what we will share with you today, how you can leverage your understanding of the technology that your organization is using to advance their particular goals, but then also 
making sure you always maintain that curiosity, become a student of the technologies out there. In this case, we hear a lot of buzzwords, uh, we hear a lot of um, uh, co commentary, uh, articles, information being shared around uh, you know, artificial intelligence, neural networks, deep learning, large language models, da 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 da. But understanding those and how those are being utilized within your particular work context, I think is critically important. It'll help you advance the company's goals, but more importantly, it'll help you advance your career goals. So that's uh, share my story kind of in a, in a circuitous way that it's really about technology and embracing technology, not to be afraid of technology, but understand it, demystify any questions that you might have about that technology and how it can be leveraged. So hopefully what we share with you today and some of the examples and anecdotes we share will help you in that journey as you continue to progress and become Thank you for continuous that. student. So that's me in a nutshell. Thank you, Chris. And I think, um, audience, you'll see a theme emerge as we talk, and I hope at the end you'll be able to identify some takeaways and be able to come back with questions and just some commentary on what you're hearing to help advance the collective understanding in the room. Um, standing up here, we've got Brandon, a technologist, Chris, a scientist, Myself, I focus on the business side. So I lead PMOs, strategy transformation PMOs that are driving change that is often driven by technology and definitely increasingly so um, as I've advanced in my career, technology has played a central role, central role in what we're able to do from an operations perspective. So why is this a trend we should know? It's a big industry, it's big science. Um, the AI ecosystem is significant and McKinsey is anticipating that it's literally trillions, 2.6 to 4.4 trillion of dollars in value in the coming years. That's not a small thing. And I think everyone in this room has the opportunity to participate and contribute to creating that value. I think another important point here is it's not easy. So even before we talked about the integration of AI, transformation over the years, McKinsey has been doing this study for a while. Um, who else? Yeah, McKinsey and EY have been doing this study for a while. And when you talk about the success of transformation initiatives, it's very low, right? So significant business transformation initiatives, 20% success rate year over year in the surveys that they've done. Which means that it is, it is a highly multidisciplinary, complex, process to conceive of and implement change in our organizations. And so as we think today, like what is our contribution to ideating, but then realizing that value for our organizations and being a part of that, um, that success? Alphabet soup. So <laughs> oftentimes I am in rooms and people talk about AI and they say, well, AI, ML, LLM, that, that's what I'm talking about. But what does it really mean? And I think I was caught in that for a while, and I think I'm definitely still on my journey to learning this, this vast ecosystem. Um, I understand all kinds of things. I understand that I can do predictive text, and I know I can do something with images, and I can transcribe voice and analyze data. Um, but I think today we wanna kinda expand on that a little bit because we think about AI in terms of it doing what humans do more efficiently. It's gonna 
take our job, it's gonna do the thing I do today, and it, you, then you don't need me. But then, I think this technology can also advance thought, right? It can do what humans cannot do. And as we talk through some of those examples today, you're gonna see that hopefully we get to change, we get to deepen the knowledge and change the dialogue and go into our communities and change the dialogue a little bit to realize the, the deep benefit that we have here with AI. With that, what I'd love to do is kick it over to Brandon to demystify and talk through this alphabet soup for us. Thank you, and everybody here have heard of AI throughout the conference. I think we know that AI is touching in every aspect of our life, whether it's the work that we do or whether it's, the, it's how we live. So I think it's important for us to really understand the terminology in the audience. I just, we just wanted to make sure that we have all the technical terms here and we wanted to make sure that you walk away understanding when people say, what is machine learning? What is deep learning? Or what is large language model? Or what is um, natural language processing? And what is generative AI? So I'll just take a minute to really address them. So as we know, the journey of AI really started with machine learning. And machine learning is we, it's become powerful because we can take the data and we can train a model with the data. And that's in essence, that's what really is, is that's machine learning, is we're developing the model using the data and we use that model to help us make better decisions. And there come deep learning. And what deep learning there is a subview within machine learning. And what is special about deep learning is that it uses neural network architectures. And with neural network, it's really simulating our neurons in terms of a network of how all of the different components of our brain fire up when we think and we, when we make decisions. So that's what, what that's when we hear people say deep learning, what that is, what that is about. And then with natural language processing, we all know about it, is that how do we use technology in a natural language way? So instead of having to code it in a computer program with zero and one, we want to be able to ask the questions and the computer understand our question and be able to respond in a natural language way. And that, to us, is how natural language processing is defined. And now, the most exciting things that we all heard about from last November with ChatGPT that drawing the attention to is large language model and generative AI. So what large language model is, think of it, the, the terminology there, large language. It's large meaning that it's being, the model itself is being trained on the entire internet. It's massive. So in terms of its corpus, it's huge. It's beyond everything that we have. And then with the language model there is that it was trained on our language. So, that, so that's what it means. So it, now it can be able to communicate with us through a natural language. And that's how it's tied to the NLP aspect of it. And then generative AI is just really a broader umbrella terms where instead of just a typical AI, traditional AIs that we have, the generative speak to you that it can actually generating contents. So that is the key there. So whenever we hear about generative AI, that's what it really mean. We, we can ask it, so for example, with ChatGPT, we ask it to write me an essay and it would come back and it would be able to write us a very compelling essay. 
And by the way, it can hallucinate too. So make sure that we <laughs> that we careful in understanding, because at the end of the day, OAI is just two sets that we have, and so we gotta be making sure that we have the right output in, and we all we have to be fact checking the outputs. That's very important, and we'll touch on that more later in the sessions. Thank you for that, Brandon. I would break out a piece of paper and a pencil because there's a few things that you want to take note to research after the fact. Hallucination is one of them. <laughs> I'd, I'd just Please, like to Chris. add you know, one thing to, uh, as far as a reference uh, for you to, to build upon Brandon's comments. So suggest, you might want to just write this down. It's a short 10-page article, actually effectively about eight pages because you got the cover page and then the back page. But it's... Uh, it's a, the title of the article is Five Big Myths of AI and Machine Learning Debunked. It's by Splunk. So you're going to splunk.com. It does a really good job. So just so you know, AI and machine learning has been around for about 60 some odd years. So it's actually not a new concept or a new term or a new tool per se. It's just obviously with the advances in computing power, the advances of you know, certain logic, uh, programming capabilities and things of that nature. It's allowed us to advance and take, uh, take better advantage of uh, information that's now on the internet. So, but again, I go to splunk.com. I think it's a really good article, short, quick read, and it gives you an overview of the, the industry. If you want to think of AI and machine learning as an industry, uh, as well as some of the, the myths that surround um, AI. And again, I think it's important as students, as we all are students, to, to make sure that you stay current and relevant with regards to this massive paradigm shifting um, uh, trend that we're seeing with regards to the use and deployment of AI and machine learning and all of its variations, because um, it is pervasive. And we'll share some examples as Brendan and, and Tatiana have mentioned that as we go through the presentation. But again, Splunk.com. Elena Brown, PepsiCo, so Brandon. Would it be fair to say, based on, Chris, what you just said, and Brandon, what you've explained, that machine learning, deep learning, language processing, LLMs, right, are all part of predictive AI, or the traditional AI that we have come to know and use on a very regular basis, whereas the Gen AI that was introduced or, you know, last November, that's kind of the new field. So when we talk about Gen AI, chat GPT, that's the different field. Would you segment them differently, or would you still keep them under a single umbrella? Great question. Thanks, Elena. I think it's not really a black and white, that clear cut of all of these different terminologies that we have. So generative AI covered the large, uh, the large language model, but actually the large language model is the foundation for generative AI. So when we hear it's when we hear the term, it's always we think of the first term, Gen AI, this Gen AI, that. But the underlying technology is the large language model that is driving it. So I just wanted to, that's a great point, Elena, that we wanted to demystify it. The, the other piece is the natural language processing. So I wouldn't separate them. It's more of this is the next level of NLP that we're able to evolve to with generative AI and large language model. Oh, thank you. And as we kind of expand our thinking and we think about how AI touches us in our careers and our roles, um, you talked about the, the software and what is needed to advance AI. 
And a huge part of advancing AI is AI infrastructure. So when we think about the processing and compute, the ability to run large language models relies on innovation in hardware that we have not had before. And so we're seeing tremendous evolution in our processing that enables the running of these large language models. Thank you for asking that question, by the way. It tees it up because what we do want to do is ensure that this is a judgment-free zone. We want everyone to come up and ask questions. We may not have answers. A lot of us don't have answers in this space. We're searching for them every day. And so by coming up and asking the questions, um, it'll provoke thought and start someone down their learning journey. So please, as we go through today, don't hold your questions. We're looking for you to engage as we, as we go through the content. So in that spirit, before we go on, I do want to ask if anyone has any questions or comments they want to make um, based on what they've heard so far. Okay, might be a little controversial, but I still want to ask. Uh, I know we saw a slide that says, sorry, Dipshika from Ford, just want to understand a little bit more on the numbers. So you said that uh, we have numbers in terms of how much money it would bring in and how many, like, probably jobs and uh, will be created to create AI. But what about the jobs that it would be taking over? Like, do we have that data or do we know anything about it so far? That's a great question. Brandon or Chris, do you want to take that? I can take that. Thank you. Questions. And before I answer the questions, I wanted to have like a gauge with our audience. How many of us here thinks that AI will disrupt your job, your current job, in the next 12 to 18 months? Exactly. It's, it's going to transform how we work. Definitely. It's, it has that transformative uh, that we have to be considered for. Now, for some of us that who have not raised our hands, I really want uh, you to second thought yourself in that context because every single thing that we do now, today, is, will be disrupted by AI. And so we have to be prepared for that. And it, so it's a wake-up call for us. It's just, I, I just wanted to throw it out there. Now, in terms of the questions that we have, it will, things that we do today will not be there tomorrow. And that's really our engineering mindset from, from the dawn of day. We want to automate the things that we can automate because those are the mundane tasks that we don't really like to do, right? And with Gen AI, it's gonna help to accelerate that journey. But however, I have an optimistic point of view where Gen AI is not going to 100% replace our job, but to your point, it's more about how, do, how can we augment what we do today with Gen AI so that we can focus on the more uh, intensive thinking activity and task that we have. So that is really my thinking on all of this and where we are going with it is we will be able to, Gen AI and AI as a whole will enable us to to, to focus on those higher order thinkings. And it's real evolve, I mean, as a human race, we'll, we'll be evolving with it. I know I'm just, um, Chris, you have a point of view? Yeah, so, so I definitely have a point of view. Um, to give you a, a perspective, and it's not meant to put fear, hopefully you take in the context as meant, and why we kind of preface 
embrace technology, be a student, and stay ahead of it. But I don't think one we have a precise reading on what the, the magnitude of the disruption of the current way in which we are structured as a workforce. But estimates of anywhere between 10 to 20 percent of the current jobs we have will be will no longer exist five years, 10 years, 15, anybody's guess at this point in time. So to get you a little bit more of a specific number, rough estimates. Now, it depends upon the report you read and all these other types of variables. But 10 to 20% of the current jobs we have in our workforce will be disrupted. And by that meaning, they will be replaced by some version of AI machine, right? That's kind of a good news, bad news thing, right? The good news is that it frees up the labor force to focus on those higher value types of skill sets we need. If you embrace the technology, you become a student and you embrace it and, and put it in the context of your company, where you want to go as a career, it's actually a positive thing to, to your point, right? But give you some specific examples where that disruption is already in place. I'll give you two examples. Military, we have a couple of military representatives. You have unmanned vehicles. They actually have aircraft that are manless, or personless, I guess is probably the right thing. They're pilotless. You have naval ships that are pilotless. Ukraine's actually used them to fairly good success against the incursion there. Army, you have army personnel that are no longer, or I shouldn't say no longer, you can reduce the amount of direct fire by remotely managed, manned, if you will, artillery. Kind of a good news, bad news. It's like Lose some the, of that local, local <laughs> intel that you might get by having personnel, but you also take that critical resource out of harm's way, right? On the science side, Laboratory experiments that, or teams or research groups, and I don't know if we have the representative from uh, Abbott here or not, but you have um, research groups that may have consisted of 50 to 100 people working on a neurotransmitter or a cancer, an oncology drug. You no longer need 50 to 100 scientists because you can simulate some of the the beakerhead type stuff, I always refer to myself as a beakerhead, right? You're mixing chemicals in a lab and you, you hope you get the desired result. No longer you need the 50 to 100. You can do it with 5 to 10 to 15 to 20. So there's a couple of examples. So percentage-wise, 10 to 20% depend upon who you talk to, report you read, all these other criteria. And those are two specific examples, very diverse examples, but I think clearly shows that this is already in place. It's already disrupting the way that we perform our jobs. So the quicker you embrace that, you take the explanations that Brandon has provided to you, internalize it, and what does it make sense to me as a professional, and how can I take that information, knowing my job will be likely disrupted, if not now, probably 10 years from now, so that I can continue to be relevant in the workforce. So hopefully that helps. I think there's there's a second part to um, your question. You talked about has there been any analysis done on on that value? So I just wanted to go back to that a little bit to make sure we addressed it. Um, when you look at that study, I think it talks about future value creation, and so 
Um, when we implement any new technology or we solve a business problem for our customers or for our employees, we typically have some return on investment for that work. And so that value creation, that 4.4, 2.6 to 4.4 trillion, is referring to that value creation. Is there a counterbalance to that? I think that's the, that's the question. That's the, the parking lot item to, to research and understand what that is. And the technology and the, the examples that Brandon and Chris provided, like, has that been quantified? Brandon, did you have a, you had a question on your lip, it seemed. Oh, no, I'm just, I think it's, it's a good way for us to move into our next topics is we are, technology is going to be disrupting us, but the good news on this side is that it's one of, with less, I mean, one of the trends that we see with technology is that it really democratized. I mean, before, it's hard to get access to those technology, but today, we can get access to ChatGPT. It's free. It's a free resource for us. So I think one of the trends that we wanted to just reinforce and share with our audience is that really embrace the technology to Chris points and don't just learn it from reading it, but actually apply it and learn by doing it. Because that's the only way that we can really upskilling and be prepared for that disruptions that are coming at us and it's coming very fast. Oh, thank you, Brandon. And explore the tools, right? There are a lot of tools available in this space that leverage Gen AI. Explore the tools, because they all are trained on different models. And so there's different information that um, informs the results, that informs that those predictions and suggestions that you're getting back from the tool. We've got two questions lined up. Okay, well, I have two questions, and I'll give you both at the same time. What are your thoughts about uh, the godfather of uh, AI, Mr. Hilton, saying that uh, AI will destroy the human race? That's my first question. And second question is, do you think that we have the infrastructure for AI to leverage all the functionality that can do? We, uh, we talked about cloud and all this technology, but... Based on my knowledge, I don't think we can really truly use AI because we don't have the infrastructure to process the way we should, the processing power. What are your thoughts there as well? I'll give you my perspective. I'll take the first one, which is more philosophical. <laughs> so, um, so I actually did recently read, I don't know if you saw the recent Time expose where they talked about AI and Elon Musk is going to save the world like he does with everything else, right? But anyhow, so it's true. If, if not properly... If we don't train AI to behave in a proper way, and that's the big question, and I have an article that actually talks about ethical AI in a, my chemistry, chemistry magazine here, it's true. It would be disruptive. Will it become a Terminator-esque type of environment? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but if not properly trained with the right data and setting the right behaviors, yeah, it, it will have adverse impact effects on the human society, on a human species. I happen to believe that, and I think my colleagues are of the same opinion, that if you look at human evolution, if you look, if you go back millions of years, the human pre-human pre species had a very small brain cavity. There were certain um, existential 
events that happened that caused the brain's capacity to expand to what it is now. It's been pretty much the same for the last several dozens of millennia, right? I happen to think that AI probably will cause some adverse effect to the human species, society, but I happen to think that it'll actually cause a, a, an incremental improvement in the human brain evolution. We've only tapped a small, small, small percentage of the human capacity, human brain capacity. I happen to think that AI, although there will be some adverse effects, no doubt, I don't think it's going to destroy humanity. I don't agree with Hinton on, on that and the other people that have adverse effects. I think actually it'll have a beneficial evolutionary, positive evolutionary effect on the brain and the brain species. We need that if we're going to get out of the current constraints we have by living on this, this Earth, if we want to be able to successfully colonize Mars, to terraform Venus, to get outside of the solar system, we're going to need to have, we need to be able to tap into the brain capacity more than we have now. And I think AI can be that catalyst, if you will, to use a chemistry term. So yes, in the short term, five years, 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, I don't know, but yeah, it will have some impact on humanity, no doubt. But I happen to think that overall, the human brain will, will evolve to have a step change in its evolutionary progression. So that's the philosophical. So I agree you. with Chris. And I think for everything that we do, every technology out there, there's always going to be two sides, like two sides of the coin. There's a red. So taking example of cybersecurity, there's always going to be a blue team, and there's always going to be a red team. And we have militaries in our audience, so we know it. Some's going to use the technology for good, and some will use the technology as bad actor. So it's really in uh, it's us that understand that's why this is so important, that we understand the technology and its implications, and we have government in place in order to drive this forward. So that's the reasons that we see that all of the leader in the industry really pushing forward the responsible AI and the responsible AI practice, because that is how we can move forward in a positive way. And I, that is the fears of that, 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 but also I think we have to weight it on the positive side as well. And to Chris' point, sustainability, how can we make our planet a better planet for our next generations to come? And AI would enable us with that. I'm sorry, to answer your second question, no, I don't think we have all of the infrastructure, hardware, firmware, software, knowledge. I don't think we have, we, we're, we're exposing the current systems to the right or complete sets of data that it needs to be to train it properly. So it has more positive effects than negative effects, it being AI, in this case, machines, if you will. So no, I don't think we do, but there's a lot of great research that's happening to address some of that infrastructure, the ability to process more data quicker. So if you go to um, the uh, Department of Energy, you go to, um, there's th three exascale systems in the US. One is already up and running, um, uh, which is a frontier out of Oak Ridge. Department of Energy, Oak Ridge facility. Aurora and El Capitan um, out of the Los, uh, Lawrence Livermore and the Ames labs. 
Those are going to be the next exascale computers. So the compute capability, how fast and how many floating point operations you can process is, is quickly coming online. What's in the process is how do you, how do you consume all of this data, analyze it, remove some of the uncertainty or as much of the uncertainty as possible is really around the, the computational aspect of things. So things about using DNA as computer chips, if you will, right? Um, looking at quantum computers and then the quantum programs that go along with that to help speed up um, as well as be able to process and intake and ingest more data sets, both the good experiments as well as the bad experiments, so you can properly train these AI systems with the right um, outcomes, with the right behaviors that we desire as, as the human creators of this AI entity that we're endeavoring to. So those are my maybe meeting, middling responses to your questions. So. Yes, and if I may add to that, Chris, is you touch on that quantum computing. I think right now we are so focused on generative AI and generative AI at this AI area, but I truly believe that innovation is going to be a flywheel effect. And what I mean by that is AI can enable us to explore areas such as quantum computing that's going to change our entire infrastructures in order to enable us to the next level of AI. And that next level of AI is going to be enabling us to go to designing the next computing infrastructures. So I think this is an exciting paradigm that we're in at the moment where it's going to be AI that's driving innovations and other technologies such as quantum computing is going to also be driving innovations. And as they combine together, we will see a totally new era that we can't even fathom today. Absolutely. That point around infrastructure is really interesting because it's been my experience that all of our research teams and scientists that are innovating in this space and building out models in AI, they, can, they, they want as much compute and processing power as soon as possible. And so what is happening is like this innovation from the edge because you're innovating from a scientific perspective, the engineers are innovating, the hardware teams are innovating, the software teams are innovating. And so you'll hear that theme, this multidisciplinary theme, we're all innovating every day, trying to enable each other's use cases and advance, and, and advance the space. You've been standing, please. It's actually it's touched on on this slide, but I wanted to talk about access because we know that this is gonna transform the landscape of how we work and probably disproportionately affect those who are in lower income jobs which are also typically from underrepresented communities. And it seems like what we're seeing is a gap, that gap between those who have and those who have not is growing wider and wider. So when I hear access and, oh, we need a plus up, we need to grow a new skill set, my mind immediately goes to this piece of democratization, the diversity and inclusion lens of, isn't that just gonna create bigger gaps in the problems that we already have? And so my question would be, what responsibility do our companies and the researchers and the scientists have um, from a human standpoint of just the disproportionate impact that this disruption in technology is going to inevitably cause. They have a huge responsibility. In fact, 
my colleague that's just standing up and walking out. We're, 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 we're actually working on an initiative to partially address a um, underrepresented communities, right? So it does take a commitment by all of us um, to address that specific issue head on, because you're right, unrepresented groups stand the most to gain, stand to gain the most from it, but also can be the recipient of the adverse effects the most as well. So we need to make sure that we collectively are engaging that community sooner rather than later. And so my colleague and I are actually trying to address that from our perspective, where we're gonna engage the local academic community, our customer set, our partners on the technology side, bringing it all together to help to, to start to address it. It's a small step, but it's a step in the right direction. And if that works, then we have a model that we can then start to kind of, as they say, rinse and repeat, right? To other underrepresented groups, whether it's you know, the black community, whether it's Hispanic community, uh, whether it's you know, the, the, the Chinese community or the Japanese or the Korean or the Vietnamese community, those, those communities as well that might not be properly represented as well. And it's gotta start now. But if we use this technology and we encourage the community as a whole, these communities as a whole to start to embrace that and learn, and you all can be ambassadors to help that as you study and become students, you can then evangelize and help and work with your companies or within your organizations to advance that, that goal. Because that's critically important, not just for the US, but global as humanity. If we want to make sure that AI doesn't become the, what do they call it, the, the top predator, if you will. The apex. The top species, which is what Hinton and others have been talking about, right? The apex um, intelligence out there. Sometimes I wonder if we're really apex intelligence, but that's beside the point. That's the, <laughs> so I don't know if that, that answer. That's more of a philosophical response, but a specific example that my colleague and I are working on to address that to leverage the technology and leverage partners that are technology oriented to bring that together. It's kind of like a synthesis problem, right? You got all these little molecules that you're trying to put together in the right stoichiometric amount to get the desired outcome. So hopefully that helps. At least that's my perspective. Definitely. It seems like uh, yeah, I was going to say you're pushing on the edge of in, in various functions and careers, the impact that you can have in this space. And so when you talk about psychology, sociology, many disciplines that can come to bear on developing and advancing AI, it's not just a technology, it's not a technology problem that we're trying to solve. It's a people problem. It's, it's a people challenge. It's a people opportunity. Brandon? Is there more, more to that question? Or is that, and maybe I went off on my tangent yeah. that I tend to do, but. I, I think what's interesting is we're talking about this is an identified gap and we know that it has it is going to have a huge impact. Uh, and as we are rapidly innovating, we still don't have we may not be innovating at the same speed to address this gap. And so, you know, to quote Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park, it reminds me about, you know, you, you engineers were so quick to to invent something you didn't think if you should. Um, and I'm an engineer, so I'm, I'm a huge fan of invention. But I think it's real interesting that we know we're starting to innovate there, we, we're starting to see the gaps, but I wonder if it's gonna happen at the same speed, uh, and the speed that's necessary to really be able to 
protect our communities and put them in a position to continue that growth together rather than get left behind again. So I am skeptic. You, yeah, you're skeptic, but you obviously have given some thought to it. So I would be, I would be interested to have a, an offline conversation to hear your thoughts on how we, we can, as a, as a community, technical community and otherwise, start to solve that. Um, Absolutely. Again, we have a certain perspective, but it's only one perspective, if you will. And again, in order to, to really understand technology trends, it's one thing to understand that there's technology, but what, what, is the, what, is, what is it doing? How is it affecting, impacting? Where is it going? What are the trends and what do we need to be doing to address that? Innovation is not just necessarily a technical change. It could also be a social change. Absolutely. It could be a governance change. Could, God knows we need to innovate the way we govern ourselves. Um, but let's address some of the things that are immediately at hand, such as underserved communities that may be left behind or further left behind, right? Which creates a greater inequity gap. So. Thank you. Right, and you address that. I think that's the reasons we are here, and that's the reasons that's so important. We need to have women and other minority in leadership role because that help us to bring awareness to this. It's not a technology solve. It's a, to, to, our, to my colleague here, it's a people solve. It's, it's about be designing and be able to be aware of the technology and where it will take us and making sure that we desire it with, with make sure that we have diversity and inclusion in when we design the technology so that it serves a purpose. And the purpose here is not just mapping to one organization or one industry, but how do we really bring out to that larger purpose, such as sustainability? How can we do good for the planet and for humanity? Thank you. Thank you for your question. Can I ask? Please, okay. yeah. Um, I'm Neha, I am um, Neha Malhotra. I'm representing Abbott Medical Devices. So my question is a little bit more, a little bit tied to what she asked, but more on the logistics too. So an AI model, as we know, is pretty much as good as the data it is trained on eventually, right? So, and a lot of this data that we do train our models on basically comes from data warehouses with a very big, pretty big bias on the more developed countries. So I guess, and this is especially a problem with medical devices. So a lot of the medical, of AI algorithms, although very, very sensitive, are not as effective when they're deployed in third world countries or countries where the data is not trained on. So from your opinion or your experience, how do you think we can ensure that the models we create have less bias and are more suitable across different populations and uh, communities? Thank you for bringing out that point. That's very important because we don't recognize it, but data in and of itself has bias. And so when we use the data, we have to know the parameters for what that data we should be using it for. So to your point, if we have data that we're collecting for a specific demographics or for specific regions, use it for that purpose. And we can extrapolate it, but we have to understand the risks and the bias that it brings. So that, that's, so data bias, definitely we have to consider. And when we develop the model in terms of how do we forecast or how do we drive insights with the machine learning model, we also have to consider the bias. Because 
us, for example, if it's a certain demographic developing that model, that AI model, that may not be well-rounded. Maybe we're missing in some aspects that we're not incorporating when we develop those type of machine learning model. So there's a data bias, there is the model bias. And at the end, the way that we can help with that is making sure that we have a right design in mind and we always, always validate the outcome. Making sure that that outcome does not contain any biases before we deploy. Can we talk a little bit about, as you talk about data, um, I hear you talking about bias. More practically in day to day, um, some of the challenges with data at every organization is just in how it's structured, um, just how clean that data is, how usable that data is. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, yeah. Either of you can please take it, but I thought I think it's an important counterbalance to the the bias in data and speaks really closely to things that everyone in this room can touch because we're all responsible for managing and curating some bit of data in our organizations. And so how can we influence and ensure that the data that we are generating can be useful? Yeah, I think that's go back to the point of making sure that we have data governance in place, making sure that the data that we create, are, we know what, it, what they are and what sort of bias it has in there. And when we develop our model, we may clean the data by removing the bias, but knowing that when we deploy these AI models and application in real life, when it's interacting, there are biases in the environment where it gets deployed, and understanding how can we mitigate those biases as well. So it's not just when we collect the data, but also the model, the environment that it's operating in. So are you saying, like, when we think about outliers in data, is that do you consider that a bias as well when you're when you're building the models? That could be because when we when we remove outlier, we're taking out data, and those data exist for a reason. So not just removing it just because it's not clean, because in real world data are dirty. So by training the model with clean data and trying to apply it when we are in a dirty, messy world. That is dangerous. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so I think to address the, the, the bias that is being created in, whether it's a medical device or whether it's an oncology drug, I think it certainly starts with being more inclusive, right, in the data. But I think to help eliminate bias in general is you need, go back to the laboratory example, right? You know, when you, you go into the, the publications, it's, they publish data that's been successful, right? That's the knock on, I think, the current knock on how do we better leverage the use of AI to get more predictive, right? To be able to design molecules, to be able to design the next, you know, electric vehicle battery, as an example. So you need not just the good data that's published, but also the unpublished bad data. So I, I think it's being more inclusive and diverse in the types of data that you, you send to the machine to ingest, process, and hopefully kick out you know, less biased type of data. And you extend that to the demographics, right? It needs to be inclusive of a larger demographic profile. And then you can start to slice and dice the data based off of where you're, where you're gonna be targeting that particular 
you know, medical device or product or whatever it happens to be. So, um, so I think it requires being more, a, a more 360 inclusion of data. That's how you, that's how you start to eliminate, you're never going to eliminate all the bias. Nothing's 100%. Never, nothing will ever be 100%. But you can at least reduce that from a 5% to a 2% to 3% by more data. And now that we, we're getting uh, higher compute capabilities, we're generating, we're creating these quantum physics-based type of algorithms that can process and consume higher complex data uh, gets us closer to eliminating some of that, that bias. To help you in that, I'm going to give you a specific site. Uh, have you heard of Pistoia? Pistoia Alliance? I don't think Abbott's in that group. I would suggest you go to PistoiaAlliance.com or .org, rather, .org, P-I-S-T-O-I-A-A-L-L-I-A-N-C-E.org. And they have different projects. Um, Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning Community is one of their projects, which I think ties into this Abbey group here. So I, I would... I would suggest that you maybe look into that. And by the way, I would actually suggest other members that may not be on the science or medical device oriented, although if you work for a Google, if you work for an Apple, if you work for a Microsoft, if you work for any of those, you're actually life sciences companies, whether you know it or not, because you're creating algorithms that support life sciences. So um, I would suggest you go into that. It's a very, it's a very robust organization and they've got a lot of cool things that are going on to address some of those data data consumption issues and data processing issues so thank you so we had a robust agenda here today <laughs> really great discussion um there were two other topics that we wanted to cover with you and so one we were talking about applications in science and product development. And finally, kind of some recommendations and where to go as an individual looking to create value in your space. So I'm gonna to go to the next slide so we can touch on that a bit. You've talked a little bit throughout the session on some of the um, scientific applications. Is there one here you wanna call out, Chris? You know, I wouldn't say there's one in particular, but. One of the things that I want to point out, if you look at this short list of uh, areas in which AI is being applied, is sunscreen formulation, something as simple as that. It goes back to one of my earlier comments where they're using these AI machine learning algorithms to, when, when a consumer product company wants to create a new formulation for say the, the Chinese market, well, the Chinese market and how, how the, the chemistry, everybody's skin chemistry is different, right? And generally speaking, it aligns with certain uh, types of ethnic groups and things of that nature. So you, the formulation that goes into that um, is non-trivial, put it that way. There's lots of wet chemistry um, activity that goes on. Lots of experiments, lots of tests that have to be run, lots of people involvement, lots of chemicals, lots of waste that's generated. Well, working with this one particular consumer product organization to reformulate the skin sc sunscreen product, 
they wanted to move away from what normally would take them about 100 batches of test samples, which leads to thousands of analyses, right? Lots of uh, person hours, lab, lab man hours, lots of waste that's generated. So you have that environmental issue to deal with. They wanted to reduce it from what was 100 batches to 10 batches. And how they were going to do that is they were going to send the data that they had, real data they had, through this algorithm that we were contracted to uh, help write with one of our computational physics folks to write the program that could ingest the data, allows them to say, okay, we're going to simulate a formulation and we're going to reduce what would normally take us 100, we're going to get it to 10. Once we get it to 10, we'll have to do some mixing, but we reduce the amount of wet chemistry or wet lab experiment because we've simulated, we've modeled the formulation ahead of time in silico, right? So th that's an example where AI and the power of, the, the power of computer, uh, quantum computing comes into play. Not to be confused with quantum computers, which arguably may or may not exist, depending on who you talk to. It will. But quantum computing does exist, right? Just using the Hamiltonians to put them in the right sequence of logic and input your data and away you go, right? So that's one example. Um, and again, that's driving innovation. Drug development. And again, you're probably your AbbVie colleagues would choose to be part of Abbott um, on the drug side. Um, but anyhow, so Moderna's mRNA technology, even though it's probably a different way of looking at technology than most of the folks in here look at it, but it's a technology. It just happens to be a biologically based technology. The proprietary software that Moderna created, as I had the luxury of being at an American Chemical Society meeting about four or five years ago and listening to their chief scientific officer, they actually created this model that allowed them to, through this in silico processing, model proteins, right? And structures of, of these, these biological molecules ahead of time, so reducing the amount of experimental effort, wet chemistry experimental effort, to model that. They use that proprietary software to actually model the COVID-19 vaccine, which one, allowed them to reduce the amount of effort, sped up the process, right? Because we had, like history was made because they were able, FDA was able to get authorization. And, and Pfizer has a similar type of mRNA technology as well. But they were able to use the power of computer programming coupled with AI and machine compute power to be able to kick out their target vaccine. And maybe we'll use this point to wrap up. We've been given the, oh, yeah, been the wrap sign. And so um, we can perhaps, if you could articulate the three points that you, yeah. that you would like the audience to take away from these, and then we can have last couple closing statements so that we can um, yeah. wrap the session. The power of AI, machine learning, and computer programming. Innovation, it's all being used to drive innovation within these spaces. It addresses sustainability. All of these will reduce the, amount, the envir environmental impact, greenhouse gas emissions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the fact that it's a diverse set of skill sets, disciplines that are needed in order to drive to these endpoints. You need to have understanding of engineering. You may not be an engineer, but you need to understand it. You need to understand computing. You don't need to be a computer programmer, but you need to understand that that's the way of the future. 
and you need to have a scientific background, right? Or vice versa, you need to have a strong engineering, but you need to understand the science, you need to understand the IT. So it's a multidisciplinary approach to solving these problems. And this is just a partial list. You get into fuel, fuel cells, you get into all these other types of areas. So those are the three things that are common to the, this list here. Thank you. Did you want to refer back to the list as well, Brandon, or do we want to talk a little bit about some of the final recommendations that we had here? Yeah, thanks. So I, I really want the audience here today to walk away with the message that I shared earlier is don't just learn through reading, but really learn by doing, because that's the more effective way for us to learn is to get our hands dirty, because that's the only way we can understand and really understand the, the capability of the technology. And so be a student of learning that Chris has been sharing. And then more importantly too is that you don't learn but also bring others with you. Learn together as a community. And the, because, I mean, I'm in the innovation space and innovation space is about working with others in order to drive innovation. It's not a one person's agenda is a collective agenda. And lastly, to your point, my third point that I want you really take away is have a higher purpose, have a mission. And think about this, it's not only that it will be a betterment for your career, but think of it beyond that. Is think of it as this is doing good with AI and doing good for our planet. Brandon, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. And audience, kudos, like so much appreciation for you coming up and asking questions in a really tough space, in a space that we're all just navigating and determining what our journey is. Um, thank you for participating in it. Um, have a great rest of your conference. These slides will be available for you. And um, please feel free to reach out to any of us. As you can tell, everyone is very passionate about this subject. Um, there, every, every topic, you could go into an entire dissertation. You could have an entire seminar in each one. So enjoy your learning journey. I appreciate you. Take care.